welcome back. How about you? How's the day going? I I am very good. The day has just started because it's Boxing Day, the day we're recording yeah. this, and it's just gone twelve o'clock. So, yeah, yesterday was Christmas Day, and it was a good one for me. How was it for you? Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Did you drink? I drank a lot, and I started in the morning as well. I actually didn't drink. What? Yeah, I had a headache. How? I don't know. I just had a headache throughout the whole day. Jesus, I is don't that even know. is that to do with your concussion or something? It see, it might be because I've been exercising at home, and like the last the last time I kind of exercised, I kind of felt like I'm gonna faint. Um, but I don't think so because. I don't know, it's just probably dehydration or something. Do you remember all those conversations we've had about you not exercising? I remember parts of them, yeah. Well, there lies the problem. Uh, that's that's bad. See, they all drink, though. They all drink a well, lot, actually. Yeah, how's the headache today? Uh, it's good now. It's pretty good. I'd say, like, two more coffees and it's all gone. Do you know what I realized? I had a headache yesterday and I was like, why do I have a headache? Because I'm drinking so much water as well. And then I realized because I woke up and went straight for a run that I didn't have any coffee. So I had a caffeine oh, headache. Oh, I see. So you yeah. just woke up, went for a run, came back and started drinking. That is my, that's my only counter to not getting obese is running pretty much every day during Christmas. You're running every day? pretty much like every day yeah i mean because there's so much food like you have to yeah yeah i get what you so that's your motive like your reason for running every day is to burn it off yeah it's just like you've you've got to do it <laughs> otherwise you're gonna become obese that's that's true to be fair that's true to be fair i mean look i miss running but i can't like running's the worst one for me well you can't run and you can't exercise so at least you're sticking to the running part but the exercise part you sort of need to get back on that of course, I mean, I've never exercised in my life, so uh, false accusations here. But I mean, yeah, the the running, I don't think it's working because I'm still putting on the weight. <laughs> <laughs> so I dread to imagine what it would be without the running, but, uh, you know, fuck it, it's Christmas. Do you know what you need to do? You need to do heavy weights. Heavy weights, why? Is that going yeah. to reduce weight? Well... Yes, heavyweights do burn fat. Also, the difference between cardio, burning fat through cardio and burning fat through weights is when you, let's say you go for a run, as you do on a daily basis, when you do like a 5K run and you're like, okay, that's it, that's the end of my run, you look on the, on the app, it usually says the amount of calories you burn. Now, it won't be as accurate unless you have the heart rate monitor around your heart, but it, it's a rough estimate which is like let's say on a 5k run it's like what like 300 what number do yeah. you usually get yeah it's yeah. about 300 i think don't they calculate it like you said through an average but i think it's just through the pace as well yeah yeah pace and so they'll see like because i believe at this start when you make your account you'll have to put your height your weight your age exactly. um, and based on that they'll be like okay well for this height for this age the average heart rate at this pace is this so this will be the average calorie burn um now, let's say at the end of your 5K, like a 25-minute 5K, you look and it's like a 30, uh, 300% calorie. Uh, you burn 300, 300 calories. Uh, whereas if you do weights, especially heavy weights, let's just say like you do legs at the gym one day. Yeah. Uh, let's say you'll do it for like 30-minute tops, nothing more than that. You'll end up burning maybe like 200 calories. However, 
However, the muscles around your legs are activated throughout the whole day, meaning even when you go back home, even when you're resting, even when you're eating, you're still burning calories from just regaining the strength in your leg. Because every time you lift weights, there's micro tears in your muscle. And I see. They join back together every time. And that's how it grows bigger. And that's how it grows stronger because like there's a tear and then they get back together. So even hours after lifting weights, you're still burning calories through you know, getting your body back to its original position. So it's a long-term workout, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, of course, these have to be like heavy, heavy weights. So what I mean by heavy weights is if you're doing like a rep of 10, when you go down for the eighth squad, you have to cry and get back up. I'll just bench press Joe. That will work. Okay, so shall we get into our first topic for this special Christmas episode? And that is... Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallin on the weekend. So, what did you think? Let's do this. Incredible performance from AJ. Very impressive. Very, very impressive. Did you watch it? I didn't watch it and I haven't seen the highlights, but I did read the BBC Sport report for it. And yeah, it did seem like it was pretty impressive. So, do you want to sort of get into. I guess, yeah, get into what the score was, what happened during the fight, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, yeah, sure, we can do that. So for people who don't know, the fight was stopped at the end of round five by uh, Alto's corner. They just didn't want to put him out there again. He was taking too much punishment. Uh, Before we get into the fight itself, first let's talk about how good the fight caught, how good the fight caught was because this fight was... Uh, held in Saudi Arabia again, I believe. So it was another one of the Middle Eastern fight cards. And what do they what do they call it, by the way? Before you carry on, something is it Riyadh season? Yeah, or something? yeah, re, re, yeah, something like that. Riyadh, okay, something, yeah, or something like that. We we talked about this for Tyson Fury. Like the advertising for it is really cool. It was amazing. It was amazing. Now I'd I'd say the advertising for this fight wasn't as good as that one, but the reason is the amount of good fighters on these cards, like they didn't need to do that much promoting. Like it was already going to sell. Whereas the names like, as well. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Tyson Fury and Garnu, obviously, yes, it's Tyson Fury and Garnu, but that was the biggest fight on the card. Whereas in this one, we had Anthony Joshua on the card. We had um, Joseph Parker on the fight. We had um, Daniel Dubois on the card. We had the champion. Uh, what's his name? Dimitri Bivol on the card, like all these are champions. Like this, this gave me like a UFC fight card. So it didn't give me the and, traditional boxing fight card. And we had a certain Deontay Wilder on the card. Yeah, that was that was a full performance from him as well. Which which you're gonna get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the fight card itself, top notch. So this, as I said, it was one of them ones where I looked at and I'm like, oh, this is like a UFC fight card where you actually want to sit down from the first fight fight and watch the rest whereas with boxing recently what they've been doing and they've been doing like a bunch of no ones basically they put them all behind and then at the end they'll have the main event and you'll know who the main event is like when was the last time we went to the pub we were like yeah boys let's go to the pub to watch like five fights before the main event and then the main event like do you remember that i think I think we were, I think you're right, we were spoilt for choice and it was sort of the same last week in UFC 296, wasn't it? Where hmm. you had uh, Paddy Pimblett versus Tony Ferguson yeah. 
and uh, what's his name? Leon Edwards versus Colby. Colby Covington. So, yeah, really strong in both of them. So let's get into that first fight then, Joshua versus Wallen. What happened? Yeah, so obviously Wallen was a southpaw, uh, as in he's a left-handed fighter. And Joshua just came off of two fresh losses. Or not fresh, like last year he came off of two losses against Alexander Rusek, who's a southpaw. So he came off of two losses against a southpaw. So you'd expect him to either perform worse or perform much better than he did last time round. Which, don't get me wrong, Alexander Rusek is probably one of the greatest of all time at like the combined heavyweight and cruiserweight weight class. Um, so Anthony Joshua started the fight a bit patient, like he like he's been since his first fight with Andy Ruiz. He's been a bit more calculated when he throws his shots. He's not been as reckless. Um because ultimately, that's what cost him the match against Ruiz. Um, first round, he was just trying to, you know, feel him out. He landed a few good power shots. And from there, it was just a downfall for Wallen. It was just a series of heavy shots to the head. To put it in simple words, Wallen just had no success in this fight. Like, zero success against Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua hurt him on multiple occasions. In round five, that was a round where he caught him with a really lovely right hand left hook and that to me seemed like the end of the fight so I thought he's going to go down so fair play to Wallen for not going down on that shot Uh, but then you could see like the vintage Anthony Joshua the moment he saw his opponent hurt he just went in he started throwing combination after combination which is what got Joshua to where he is anyway like it's rare for a heavyweight to be throwing combinations of like five six seven punches like it's rare to see that especially for the person to have power as well like it's quite rare you see you look at other heavyweights that possess power like and like Deontay Wilder like you see him try to time that one punch and that's it you don't see him to go in try to throw like a combination of eight shots and like any of them can knock you out um but yeah, at the end of round five, like you could see like the vintage Anthony Joshua where he's just going in. Um, and yeah, when they went to the corner, they stopped the fight. At that point, Otto Wallen had already uh, received, I believe, around 80 significant power shots to the head, which is a lot. It did feel like a moment, didn't it? Because going into this, I actually, I don't know who Wallen was, but... I guess it was the same with Joshua's last fight where the narrative was if he loses this, it's sort of his career's done again. And a lot of talk from Wallen himself was extremely confident. And I know you have to do that to sell the fight anyway. Mm. But like I said, because I didn't know who Wallen was, it was sort of, I was sort of in that position where I was like, I really don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. But I mean, fifth round TKO victory for Joshua really impressive i have to say and now he's sort of yeah he is sort of having a moment because it's like oh shit maybe um maybe there's a title fight coming up for him in the future and Mm -hmm. we can we can talk about obviously with how results went in a different fight and how that does change what can sort of happen going forward because i think you might know what fight i'm talking about but i don't know if that's going to happen now Mm -hmm. after that result but i think for joshua you know he's 34 years old he is on a little streak right now. Obviously, he did lose to Usyk and he lost to Ruiz a few years ago. Um, but he is sort of, he's building himself back yeah, up. And I, I think there's definitely, there's definitely an opportunity for a title push at some point in the near future if he can mm. keep it going. But it is, it's like you said, since that Ruiz fight, he has been much more cautious 
in the way that he's fought. And I didn't know actually that Wallin's a southpaw. So to come in here and to dominate like that, and of course it's a different fighter to Usyk, but to really, I guess, learn from his mistakes and learn learn what he was doing wrong in the past and sort of rectify that and be a much more intelligent fighter. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time if you are a Joshua fan. And I mean, for years I was saying this guy is washed um, <laughs> and mostly in a, in a, in a joking way, but he's having a comeback, I think. He is. I mean, now he's got options to be fair as well, because Francis Ngannou called him out as well. So he has that money fight option as well as a title fight option, most likely. What would you, what would you say? I would that love for, to see yeah. both. What would you think about that? Like the Ngannou Joshua fight? Well, I would have to ask you about, you know, like, is there a big weight difference? What do you think? Because we way. saw the Nganu, the Nganu performance against Fury was dominant, and in a way, he was robbed there. Now, um, hear me spoke out about with that Fury. On our... Hear me out with Fury. Well, right, this fight card, it proved one thing to a lot of fans around the world. I wouldn't necessarily say it proved it to me, but to a lot of fans, this fight card proved Fury is overrated. Do you want to know how? Well, before you answer that, I think. Perhaps the Nganu fight showed that anyway. Yeah, but the Nganu fight, you could have just said, oh, this is like a one-night bad performance. Oh, he underestimated Francis Nganu. Like, it, you could just say all of those for that one night of bad performance. Do you know what I mean? But this you night... You could, but then, yeah. but then you could also say he is overrated. So yeah. you can say both things, can't you? Well, I'm going to tell but you some on. numbers now, which it might actually make you think that way. So, on this fight card, we had... Joseph Parker as well as Otto Willen. So now, Deontay Wilder shared the ring with Tyson Fury, I believe, three times. They fought three times. And Otto Willen shared the ring with Tyson Fury. And that was at his prime, I'd say. Otto Willen gave Tyson Fury a very, very tough match where he won by decision, but he was struggling to win. Like, he had a massive cut open above his eye. A massive cut open above his eye. And he struggled to win that fight. Like, it was not an easy night at the office for him. He struggled to win that fight. But he won it. Okay. Now, on the other hand, we had Deontay Wilder, who was arguably Tyson Fury's toughest opponent, lose a unanimous decision to Joseph Parker. Unanimous decision as in losing every single round to Joseph Parker. So then you can look at all the stat and be like, hmm, okay, so you just barely beat Francis Ngannou, arguably lost that fight. The person who was your hardest fight, the hardest, the ha- gave you the hardest series of fights in your career, just got dominated by like a top 10 heavyweight, lost every single round. And the person who you struggled to get a unanimous decision point victory against just got TKO'd and dominated by Anthony Joshua. So that would put him in a... Not a great position. What do you think? I see what you mean because you're saying, well, Fury barely beat this person, but then this other person decimated that individual who Fury barely beat. Mm. But it's so circumstantial. It's like what happened on on that night, for example. What age was Fury or what age was Wilder, for example, when they fought? Stuff like that. What form are they on? So... I guess the point and the question you have to ask is, or the point you have to make actually is, we will just never know unless they fight, unless he fights these individuals. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I do get your argument. And I think 
if Fury, let's say Fury retires and he keeps his record, right? Zero losses. Mm -hmm. These conversations are always going to be have had for the rest of his life. So we've got plenty of time to discuss this more. Yeah, that's that's of course true. And yeah, on the other hand, we've had Dimitri Bivol, the champion, uh, who should really fight Bezrobiev now, but he also dominated this fight. And we had Daniel Dubois coming off of a fresh loss against Alexander Usyk again, dominating Miller and stopping him in the last eight seconds of the fight. Uh, and yeah, with the Wilder fight, it was, it was you know the same story all over again. Like you never expect Wilder to go out there and like win rounds against these heavyweights. You always expect expect because Wilder's not a good boxer. Like if you take the power away from him, he doesn't have anything. There's like a punching bag in the ring. Uh, well, before before you go on, so Wilder was against Joseph Parker, right? Yeah, Tyson Fury's teammate. And okay, and yeah, so who is Joseph Parker? What's his record going in? Is he uh is he a former champ, for example? Is he a current champ? Who is he? So Joseph Parker is a reliable heavyweight, pretty much. He's been in the game for a long, long time, right? He yep. he trained with Tyson Fury a lot recently. He's actually from Australia, but I believe he lives in um, he lives in the UK. But I'm I'm not too sure about that. Anyway, his record is 34 victories, which 23 comes by way of knockout, and three losses, which one comes by way of knockout. So it's a okay. pretty good record. Resume itself yeah. is it's it's pretty good. He won against the likes of Derek Chisora twice. He beat Andy Ruiz. He beat he beat some good fighter uh, fighters in his record. Obviously, his three losses come against Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, and Joe Joyce. So his three losses are against the top of the food chain. But yeah. that being said, he's a veteran. He's been around the game for a long time. Uh, he fought everyone, pretty much all the top names. So he's no joke. He's not. He's not a warm up fight. He's not a tune up fight. When you go into fight him, you go into fight a proper contender. Uh, and. Mm -hmm. And coming into this fight, has he fought frequently and recently yeah, yeah, yeah. or not? So actually, he just okay. he was just stopped uh, like very late last year um, by Joe Joyce. Like that was his first KO defeat. But since then, he had three or four other fights. So from the last month of last year, he had three fights up until this year. So he's been very active. Okay. And so... He's been active recently, and that creates a discourse between his opponent, Deontay Wilder, mm. who, well, do you want to go into that? Because he had not fought for quite a while, didn't he? Yeah, and I mean, the last time he fought, like over the past two years, he only spent one round in the ring. So the last time he fought, which was, I believe, nearly a year ago, he stopped his opponent in, in the first round. So he only had one round in the bank. That is not good prep at all, is it? Yeah, like... For someone who's like obviously ranked top three heavyweight in the world, no, you need to fight more. And I think it's really easy for us to actually say after this fight, because for Wilder it was pretty embarrassing that I mean it's easy for us to just point the finger and say, Well, it's clear why why the performance was so poor. It's because he just hasn't had that ring time. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? I'd say that is fair. I'd say yeah, that is somewhat fair, but See, this has always been the case with uh, Deontay Wilder, to be fair. As I've mentioned, like with Deontay Wilder, you never expect him to go out and start winning rounds against these fighters because he's genuinely not a good technical boxer. 
it's just like when I was watching the fight in the first round, I was like, okay, well, nothing out of the ordinary. You'd expect Wilder to come come out, get outboxed, move around the ring, get caught with a few shots, and that's pretty much it. Same thing next round, same thing next round. But you'd always have that feeling that, okay, like he's setting up the right hand, he's setting up the right hand, because all he needs is that, basically. All he needs is to land that shot one time. But... Yeah, it was the fact that his timing was off, his distance was off, um, as you said, the inactivity, and surely that those size and fury fights took a tool on him. Yeah, I mean, just I think just embarrassing, and I don't know how old he is. Is he? He's late thirties, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's like thirty-eight, I believe. And so, and so, what does this do to his prospects going forward? And what does this do to his current record? Um. Well, oh, well, well, that's 38, by the way. Um, his current record is still a very good record. Like, Deontay Wilder has still got a very, very solid record. His record is 43 wins, 42 coming by way of knockout, and three losses of which two is by knockout to Tyson Fury. Um, I'd say with him, it's just a matter of... Because he also talked about it. He first said, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I still have it. And when you usually say that, that's not a good sign. Like he said that immediately after the fight. But then afterwards, he went back home. Like he posted on his social media that, yeah, he still wants it. So I think with him, the talks of being a contender, the talks of being a fighter is like kind of out the picture. It's more so maybe one or two big money fights for him. And he'll call it a day. So maybe even him versus Francis Ngannou. You don't know. If Joshua decides to go down the legacy path, if Joshua comes out and says... Uh, look, at this stage of my career, I'm on a roll right now. I'm feeling great. I I want to go for the title again. I want to try to fight the best guys. Uh, then you really don't have anyone for the Hunter Wilder to fight. So you could even put him against um, Francis Ngannou. And that's actually very good marketing right there because you have two of the baddest men on planet Earth. You have two of the most strong heavyweights, one coming from MMA, one in the boxing world. Let's settle who's the strongest. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely sell well, wouldn't it? And you actually, you alluded to something I wanted to talk about earlier, which was obviously after both of these fights, I think a talk perhaps was that Joshua could fight Wilder at some point in the future. But with the way that the results have gone, I just personally, I do not see that happening. What about you? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Actually, two years ago, had you asked me how would, have, how would the Wilder-Joshua fight turn out to be, I'd say Wilder by first round knockout. Um, now I'd probably change my mind because of what I saw from Wilder. But yeah, it was actually, I mean, there was even controversy with this one because they were saying, oh, they've already agreed to fight each other if they both win, but they're fighting on the same night. So why not just fight each other? Like now is a good time for them to fight as well before, before the event on the weekend. Um, but yeah, now for Joshua fighting Wilder doesn't really make sense. He'll still have the name under his belt. Like he'll still be beating Wilder if he were to fight Wilder. Um, but for Joshua, if he really wants that title shot, he doesn't necessarily have to go for Wilder. I'd say, but then again, though, he doesn't really have much choice because you'll have Alexander Usyk fighting Fury and they have a rematch clause. So that itself is probably a one-year process where they fight and then they have to fight again. Um, so if, if you, and that's for obviously undisputed championship, so there's no other belts out there unless he goes for interim belts, which, yeah. Yeah. So the ball is in Joshua's court and I just don't think, I don't see him risking a fight with Wilder 
for two reasons, really. Firstly, because, like you said, he wants to chase a belt. Um, but secondly, also, like you said, you always run the risk when you're fighting Wilder that he just unleashes that that heavy hit against you and knocks you down yeah. um, and knocks you out. So I just he he doesn't need it, does he? And I just can't see it. But it was a good point you made. It was like, if it was ever going to happen, I mean, they're fighting on the same night. They should have just, they should have done it here. Exactly. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, it, it's a missed opportunity and it isn't because things have worked out very well for Joshua and it could have worked out even worse for Wilder if he was up against Joshua. But yeah, mm. it's, I feel like that, that time has passed now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This is like back in 2018, 2019, where the cycle of heavyweight was Wilder, Fury and Joshua and none of them were fighting each other until Joshua lost and then they eventually were like, well, okay, fuck it. Now that the zero is gone from one of our records, let's just all fight. That's what happened. And so we've spoken about it and we've been talking about Joshua's route to a title. So who would he have to fight and what title could he possibly get going forward? I think, well, the only titles he could get right now are like he's not going to get like a commonwealth title which is just like an like an area for the, for this area he'll obviously be fighting for like the world championships um yeah who will he'll have to fight um will probably be joe joyce because joe joyce has right now the interim belt i believe um but then again like a joe joyce fight is a controversial one like he's not necessarily a big name in terms of money so i don't know if that's a fight don't make i think with joshua at this stage because he has the name and obviously he's he has a clean like streak this year going on three for three he already has secured himself a money fight uh, sorry a title fight so i think it's just a matter of hmm, does he actually want to risk it as you said against another top contender or does he just want one or two more tune-up fights until he gets his shot at the actual title fight now that being said it is a hard path to go because if Usyk were to beat Fury then once again getting a title fight for Joshua Stricky because Usyk has already beat you twice so would you want to actually go back and fight him again um so yeah it's, I see a narrative a there I I do see a narrative there but I was going to ask you is there any possibility that Joshua fights whoever wins because you said it's uh two two fight clause isn't it between yeah. Usyk and Fury yeah so is there a possibility that Joshua at some point in the near future can fight whoever holds the titles after those two fights well it's a case where he had already secured himself like had they not have a contract ready if they didn't sign a contract to fight each other at this stage Joshua was going to fight one of them because he secured this title fight in my opinion at least um knowing he's a big name he's gonna sell and everything so he has already secured that title fight. I think it was just a case of who's, which one's he going to fight. Well, now they're both fighting each other. But I believe if it's a case where it's Usyk winning, I wouldn't say it's the best decision for Joshua to fight Usyk. And if it's Fury winning, I'd love to see a Fury. That fight would be massive. Imagine that. Wembley Stadium, Fury versus Joshua, undisputed championship of the it world. Would, it would be everything coming full circle because there's been this narrative for years that, oh, is Joshua going to fight Fury? Is he not? And it thought, it looked like it would happen, then it never has happened. And if Fury does win those titles against Usyk, then it's like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to finally do it, to nip it in the bud. Of course, it's not going to be both of them at the top of their game. 
but nonetheless that's just that's a fight for the ages isn't it and that's just yeah. going to be massive over here in britain yeah not only not only fury will redeem himself once again proving he's one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest heavyweight of all time but as you said that fight would be massive it'll be the first undisputed fighter from the uk since lennox lewis if fury were to win and then put them all on against Joshua. That fight is massive. I can't. I can't wait. Hopefully, hopefully. I, I just want to say, I feel like we're being a little bit harsh on Fury, considering everything he's done. And I think it's just because of that performance against Ngannou. I agree. But if he did, if he did, does beat Usyk twice, then like surely that's going to nip a lot of this talk in the bud. Like yeah, yeah. For but sure. then. But then that's always been the case throughout his career that people have doubted him. And like you said, he always proves them wrong. So mm. I want to, obviously I want to see him beat a sick. It's, but it's, um, it's a tough fight for him. It's looking very tough. That's I just don't know how to call it. If it's a case where he lost it, like he lost that it factor and that could be because of his age, that could be because of the damage he took against the Wilder fight. Then he's in for a long, long night against Usyk. Now, don't get me wrong. Usyk is not going to come out, knock Tyson Fury out, but he can box his head off for 12 rounds and not get hit. Uh, it's, it's a tricky, tricky fight night for him. But once again, it's okay. He needs a redemption anyway. Like he's at a point in his career where he needs to redeem himself. He needs to say, oh, don't forget, I'm still here. I'm still the man. Um, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he needs to... He needs to prove that to himself, doesn't he? Yeah. He needs to he needs to prove it to himself that I am still the man. And you can never write this guy off. Exactly. He needs that. He needs that. And obviously the Usyk fight is that. It's just a matter of does he still have it in him? Is that fight a type of fight which makes him wake up at five in the morning to go for a run? I think it is. I think it is. So that's going to be a big fight. Come on, you have to stay up for that. Although it'll be UK time, so you don't even have to stay up. Well, that's also something I was going to ask. Would that happen in Wembley or, let's say, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, for example? It's Well, I believe that stadium has not been picked yet, but it will either be UK or, once again, Saudi Arabia. We want boxing to come back because we, we need to see one of these fights live. We haven't done it before. We, do. we actually need to see one of them live, especially one of them big fights or even a UFC event. We need to go to one. What an experience that would be. Do they hold any of these UFC events in Rarely. London? Rarely. So the last one they held in, in London, like I was a pay-per-view, was I believe October last year, which was Leon Edward versus Kamaru Usman 2 or 3, sorry. And where did they hold that one? O2 Arena. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You know what? That does make sense. I think I think Joe went and saw that one. Oh, did he? Yeah, because I remember him going to see UFC at O2, so it must have been the one last year. Yeah, yeah, that might, must have been the one then. Great experience. I think, I think to be honest, I would rather watch UFC in person. Same, yeah. US, well, that's what I mean. That comes all, all comes down to the structure of the sport. First of all, UFC's visually is much more brutal, so you'd, you'd enjoy more, like you're more entertained. Plus, the way they help hold their events is much better than they do boxing. Uh but yeah, I'd I'd prefer to see you have seen person as well. And also, if it if they hold it at the O2 again, we've been there before. And just thinking about you know the structure of the arena, mm. um, it would really suit itself to to UFC. It it's does. only I think it's only twenty thousand seats, so yeah. 
you'd be able to get a good view as well. It's it's going to be amazing. We need to go to that. I believe they're holding one this year. Oh, well, next year, technically. Well, if the tickets are not already sold out, we can have a look. I've I've all I've made an account and I'm all signed up for like early access tickets, so we're chilling. All right, man. Well, keep me keep me posted on that. We'll do. So, we'll do. so shall we move on to? Well, we're going to talk about this briefly, but Tottenham Hotspur picks up a two-one win against Everton of the weekend. That's what we said. That's what we predicted. That now leaves Tottenham on four games unbeaten. So they went on that unbeaten streak at the start of the season in the Premier League mm-hmm. for, I believe it was upwards of 10 games. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Then they went on that streak of five games without a win, but it was solid performances. And now four games unbeaten again. So we're back on another streak. And I have to say, you know, we were talking about Everton the other week and how well they're doing. And I know that someone on this podcast had reservations about how Tottenham were going to perform against them, but they got the job done. They did. They did. And now they overtook Man City on the table. So we're sitting fourth right now. Um, And our next two matches are not looking actually next three matches they're not looking to be that difficult so our next match is against Brighton obviously with Everton that's 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 an impressive victory because Brighton itself was a team which we actually talked about they were coming off of being well they were motivated they were coming into this match motivated uh because they needed the win they needed the points but obviously we're on a roll right now They did. And you know what? I watched the highlights for Tottenham versus Everton. And I have to say, and you have to give credit, Everton were the better team. Mm. Um, And so in that sense, I can give credit to both teams. Firstly, obviously Everton for the performance they put in, but also for Tottenham, the performance they put in, because I think it was a really tough game to keep Everton out. And yes, there was luck involved. Um, I think Everton hit the crossbar twice in the second half. Oh, and in after added time, so it must have been, I don't know, 95 minutes or something, mm. they hit actually the goal line. So they were inches away from scoring. But you need luck and you sort of, you create your own luck through solid performances. And we've been saying this about Tottenham all season. And yes, I know we're biased towards Tottenham, but, you know, deal with it. Um They've been performing really well, even in games where they have lost, even in games where they have drawn, and even in games like this where they have won, but perhaps they didn't deserve to win. They've still stuck to the way that they play, and they put in good performances, which actually deserve the luck that they've been getting. And so for Tottenham, it's great because, like you said, I mean, Man City are not even in the top four, for example, which is crazy. Um, But for Everton, We spoke about the run of form they've been on since that 10-point deduction. And I think they're going to come away from this maybe a little bit flattened, but not completely because they've been playing really good football. They're not in the relegation zone. And even though we perhaps spoke about they might be in a relegation battle, with the way that they've been playing these last few months, I actually can't see it. I think they're they're probably going to be very safe and finish mid-table. So I think there's positives to take away for both teams. Yeah, I mean, as you said, the game is... I, I personally haven't seen the game, but I know the result. The match itself was very entertaining, apparently, the way you say, like, if we've, if we've played the same way we've always played, it's going to be an entertaining match. Obviously, there's luck involved, as you said, and if they hit the crossbar twice, if they almost scored, then that means that's a good performance on their behalf. Um, and yeah, they're doing well anyway. I mean, 
even if they didn't have the point deduction, and even if they were at their best, they probably would have still been the underdog against Tottenham. Uh, and that, but it was a close match anyway, as you said. It's it wasn't like a case of oh they got dominated. It was a close match, uh, and obviously we're on a winning streak right now, so you'd expect us to perform better than usual. Well, what's really interesting is that if Everton had not had that 10-point deduction, so right now they sit 16th on 16 points, Mm -hmm. they would actually have 26 points, which would put them in the top half of the table. So that just shows how good they're doing. And you spoke about, you know, Tottenham's upcoming fixtures. I think we've got Brighton next, you said. That's actually today. So I will be watching that. Yeah, yeah, that should be today. Uh And yeah, we'll probably talk about that on the next episode. We shall talk about that. So let's pivot once more, but this time away from sport. We've had enough of that. (laughs) And we want to talk about the favorite films that we have seen that have been released this year. So we're not talking about films, any single film that we have seen in 2023. We're talking about films that have specifically been released in 2023. So I think the way we should do this is you start off with a film. Just tell me a little bit about it and we'll discuss it. Then I do a film and then vice versa. Sound good? Fair enough. Okay. Let's go, obviously, in no specific order. Let's go with No Heart Feelings. This film Ah. starring Jennifer Lawrence was a romance comedy. I believe we were missing this type of films over the past three, four, five years in the cinema and in the movie industry. It was a film which it's not gonna it's not like you're gonna sit down and watch it and be like, oh wow, that's one of the greatest films of all time. But it's a film that like just gives you that good vibe. And the last time I got a vibe like that was from Palm Spring. Um it was I really enjoyed it. Obviously starring Jennifer Lawrence did help the case. Uh always. Of course. And it was fun. It was just a fun movie to watch. And I really enjoyed it personally. And I think it's actually good. It's doing good on reviews as well. So it's not like it's a bad review and only I enjoyed it. I think it's sitting at, let me see, uh, No Heart Feelings. I think it's sitting at, yeah, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I really enjoyed that film. I So you watched it with Leah and I watched it with... Alyssa and yeah I I enjoyed it I'm not gonna lie it wasn't it didn't come into contention for me but absolutely a good film and you're right when you say it's sort of the type of film that we haven't seen for a few years Mm. in that in the sense that it was that that r-rated romantic comedy where it was actually funny you know yeah yeah exactly and and it actually had some personality to it and I think you've got to give huge credit to Jennifer Lawrence for that, because in the age that we live in, there are rarely that there are few actual movie stars, and yet she is one. Mm. And I think just her charisma that she has and her acting ability brought so much to that film, where perhaps in the hands of someone else, it might not have been been that good. And you've talked about reviews there being good. I think the box office take was also really good. And this is sort of. In a way, it's inspiring a combat comeback for those romantic comedies. We've got another one starring Glenn Powell from Top Gun Maverick and Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria coming out. I actually can't remember the name, but I think it comes out today in the US. And that one also looks really good. And we spoke about this in terms of Barbenheimer over the summer, where the effect of that film we're going to see in the years going forward 
well, you can say the exact same about these romantic comedies and the fact that they're doing successful today. And I have no doubt that the Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell film will also be successful. Anyone you're going to you. see that's what it's called. That's the one. Mm. That's the one. You're going to see that going forwards, and you're going to see a lot more of these films, which we just haven't seen recently. And I think partly why we haven't seen them is because of things like streaming services, and they have their own variations of them, mm. but they don't have that character and that personality to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You don't see these type of films in the cinema over the past few years because you can make them quite cheaply for streaming services. Yeah. But I like the fact that we've had something like No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. I think it was a really good film. And I actually think it was a really good suggestion from you. I uh, appreciate that. By the way, I didn't watch it in cinemas with Lee. I was gonna, but they didn't have the right time. So I ended up just watching it myself like months after, or like weeks after. But yeah, what did you see? Did you see something else with her? Though? No, that time we didn't go to the cinema. We were gonna, but we looked at everything and they didn't have any good timing for any good showing. We were gonna watch, it was either this or what was the other one called? Asteroid City? Asteroid City, yeah. yeah. But none of them were like the timing and none of them were good. So we just ended up not going to the cinema. Well, okay, so let me get into my first film. And I did actually have one favorite film from the year because I was really trying to think about it. And I was like, in terms of films that have been released in 2023, I haven't really had more than one favorite than this specific film. But I then had another think about it. Mm -hmm. And there was a romantic drama that I saw around October called Past Lives. Okay, It's... It's produced by a company called A24. They make a lot of art house films, but also some of the best films over the past decade, such as Ex Machina, Moonlight, Everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once. So quite big hits. Mm. And this film is a romance about a writer in New York. She's an immigrant from Korea and she has a successful, successful life. She has a husband. But she reconnects with her childhood sweetheart and not yes in a romantic way but not in an explicitly romantic way it's more so a rekindling of that past connection and so what you have is and again this is something that i don't think we've seen for a while in a way you have a love triangle but it's handled in a really emotionally intelligent way it's beautifully directed, beautifully acted. And I had to be honest when I was coming up for my suggestions for this list. I was like, I do need to give credit to this film because it was one of the best films that I've seen this year. So my first suggestion for my favorite films of the year are Past Lives. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, romance drama. Um, I just looked it up. It does look good. I'd probably watch it and give it like a 2 out of 10 though, if I were to watch it. I would probably say that like Asteroid City, Past Lives is not your type of film. So well done for watching No Hard Feelings and well done for not watching Past Lives. Your dad would probably like it though. He probably would to be fair. He has a horrible movie taste just like you. Um, what else? Okay, should we go with my next film? Let's go for it. Now, my next film... Once again, it was a case of I sat down, I looked at the movies I watched throughout the year, and I could actually change this film, but I'm not going to. Uh, 
it's a movie we talked about recently, Leave the World Behind. Um, maybe the reason it's on the list is because I just recently watched it. Um, if I were to change it, I'd be changing it with Cocaine Bear, which is another movie I just recently watched. Um, so, you know, I've I've not had the elements of having enough time after the film to really think about it. Maybe it's just the heat of the moment I'm feeling. But I looked at the movies this year and there really wasn't anything big. Like there was, obviously, we had Barbie, we had Oppenheimer, we had big films, but there wasn't anything for me to say, oh, that's the one. Like I looked, the first thing that came to my mind, like the moment we said, okay, let's have this on the transcript, the first thing I thought about was Avatar. And then straight away I was like, oh, no, that was December last year. Like such a missed opportunity. But yeah, leave the world behind. We talked about it recently. It's a great film. It gives a good vibe. And just I'd say like a mediocre ending, but it's a good film. And we talked about it in the last episode. It does feel a little bit like recent recency bias. Although actually I was considering putting it there myself because I really enjoyed it. But I was just like, I don't know, because I need to sort of sit on it a bit longer. It's sort of like you last year with Elvis saying it's the greatest film ever made and it's your favourite film of all time after seeing it like an hour ago. <laughs> That's a good film, to be fair. Um, but yeah, Leave the World Behind, available on Netflix. We spoke about it, I think, for the last two episodes. It's a really good, I would say, um, it's definitely a thriller. There's mm. definitely political elements and there's also science fiction elements. And... It brings all three together in a really, a really tense and a really, really dramatic way. I disagree with you, obviously, on the ending, but I know you're not in the minority in thinking that it was mediocre, the ending. So I think in terms of the ending, I think it was just divisive. You either like it or you don't. Mm. But that doesn't affect the experience of watching it, does it? It's still a really good film. Yeah, it was. It was still an amazing film, to be fair. What about you? What you got next? Well, this was my this was going to be my one suggestion, and then obviously I thought about it, and past lives had to come up. But you brought it up yourself; it has to be Oppenheimer. Perfect. I think an open goal. Oppenheimer. Well, in in a way, yeah, I think Oppenheimer is a film that you you look back at the decades and you go, "What were the best films of the twenty twenties?" And Oppenheimer's on that list. It just blew me away. I mean, we've spoken about it before, I think, on earlier episodes, but. It's a three-hour black-and-white biopic about the man who created the atomic bomb. And yet, it is so gripping. It's a blockbuster. It's filled with brilliant performances. It has one of the most insane ensemble cast you've ever seen. There's so many Oscar winners in there. And I was gripped. I was actually gripped for the whole three hours. So, just the highest praise. I think it has to be the best film of the year by a margin and i know you haven't seen it yet which is so disappointing how have you not seen open you've seen barbie and you haven't seen Oppenheimer. Well, technically technically i watched the um, minecraft version for like 10 minutes of it five minutes of it however long that was were you not gripped by minecraft <laughs> oppenheimer i was gripped that wasn't bad to be fair that was good it had that dark thing in it like, yeah like a dark theme in it that was good there's this really funny trend on X where people are just like, fuck it. And then they post like the whole of Barbie or the whole of Oppenheimer. And it actually popped up on my timeline the other day. So I might try and find it and send it to you. And then you can watch it as Christopher Nolan intended on your iPhone screen. 
Oh my days, three hours up in that screen time from four hours to seven hours a day. On a more serious note, okay, the scene in Oppenheimer where they do the Trinity test, which is the first time they test the atomic weapon, Mm. is the most gripping bit of cinema I have seen in years. And I cannot spoil any of it for you, but you just need to watch it to know what I'm talking about. And in a way, I'm sort of, I'm disappointed for you that you won't be able to experience that in a cinema, but I think it will still work pretty well just just at home as well. So mm. yeah, the watch out for the Trinity test scene if and when you watch Oppenheimer, because you definitely need to watch it. I'll probably eventually watch it. In fact, we could do that on the next boy strip. We could just have Oppenheimer. Actually, do we pay attention to it? It's three hours. I don't know. I'll, I'll watch it, though. I'll definitely watch it. But, yeah, the moment you said, like, let's talk about the list, I was like, I wonder if he's going to put Oppenheimer there. And I'm like, of course, you have to go with it. Uh, well, see, yeah. Well, see, on, on Letterboxd, I also did a list where it said my favorite films from 2023 but they weren't releases from 2023, right? So it was just anything that I've watched this year. Mm. And I think Oppenheimer was the only film from this year that I put on my favorite favorite films from 2023. So oh, high praise, enough. man. High praise. Yeah, that means it's a good film then. I'll, I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it because as you said, it's probably one of the greatest films of the decade. So I'll probably end up watching it. Oh, for sure. Okay, so is this yeah. your final suggestion? My final suggestion is I kind of ran out of idea when it got to this point, right? I went with, but it was a movie I really enjoyed. However, it wasn't necessarily like that popular. It wasn't necessarily that big and didn't have that good of a numbers. Um, I was going to go with a lot of films which were from last year, but then I thought all from this year, but then I looked at them and they were like all from last year. Like one of the other ones I was going to go with was with that, you know, the Pinocchio one Netflix recently, or not recently, in 2022, they released. If we we did this list last year, um, that Pinocchio film would be on it for me because that was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That's why I was going to put that on, but then I looked at the release and it was 2022. I was like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, just missed out. It's December 2022. Exactly. So I went with Megan. Ooh. It's a controversial one. I went with Megan. However, see, hear me out, right? As I said, not necessarily a big yeah when it comes down to movies well of course it was but Megan was just that unique thriller for me it was a case where it's kind of what you could see happening in the future where you could see the AI technology come in and eventually take over turn evil so it has the element of oh could this be what's going to happen in the next 10-20 years um and that's what that is what's really interesting to me because you look at it and you're like, hmm, that could be us in ten years, that could be us in twenty years. But it also could not be us in ten years, it could not be us in twenty years. So that's the element it had which made me really interested to the film. Plus how creepy it was in some scenes. I don't know if you've watched it or not, but it was I a have, good yeah. Film. Yeah, it was a good film. So as I said, it wasn't necessarily one of the best releases of the year, not even close in fact, but it just gave me the element of, oh, that could be what we'll be facing soon. So that's why Megan. Megan was a a really 
fun but silly horror thriller film. And it came out, I believe, in January. And it actually did really well. They had a really good marketing strategy. And in terms of the budget, which I think was quite small, it made a it made a lot of profit. And I think they've opened the door for a sequel with the way the film ends. But it comes back to what I was saying there. It's fun and silly. So whilst I enjoyed it, I wouldn't say that it is one of my favorite films of 2023. But I see why it's on the list. And actually, it's interesting what you say about seeing that happen in 20 years, for example. I guess a lot of the films that have come out this year, you can see their plots happening in the future. We take Megan, for example, with an AI doll that goes rogue. Mm-hmm. You take the creator, where you have literally AI beings embedded in society. And you've also got the way that Leave the World Behind ends. Exactly. And the way that, that that plot plays out. And that's a really interesting trend in cinema. That actually a lot of the way... And yeah, now that I think about it, a lot of the plots that people are sort of writing and the narratives in our films at the moment are about the rise of AI, aren't they? And that's really interesting to see how that's going to go forward because we haven't even seen the products of, of, for example, chat GPT and how AI has progressed rapidly as it has in 2023. Mm. Remember, these films that have come out this year probably started the production process in... I don't know, 2020, 2019. So we're not even going to see the fruits and the products of this year for another three or four years. Mm. But it is interesting that there is that trend, you know, that AI is playing a really important part in narrative and cinema at the moment. But respectable, respectable play by you, putting Megan on the list. I Mm -hmm. didn't even consider it again, but I did enjoy it. And I will probably watch Megan too whenever that happens. Yeah, I agree. And that's a trend. It's, the trend is somewhat similar, even with movies like Oppenheimer, because you've got the element of, okay, the disaster and the stuff that happened in the past, let's showcase it, like how it happened. And we've got the stuff that could happen in the future. Let's showcase it. What could go wrong? You uh, could say that all those films are warnings, couldn't you? Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And eventually there'll be a film like Oppenheimer, maybe 70 years from now, but regarding how AI went wrong. Well, hopefully not. That's hopefully a very not. pessimistic prediction from you. I might have just writ- wrote down the plot of the greatest film of all time, though. Just in case that AI does take over the world in 50 or 70 years, I just want to say now that I completely support AI, <laughs> and I am your humble servant. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Have you got anything else on the list? No, unfortunately, I only have two two favorite films released in 2023, but that's okay because we're going to move on to our favorite TV shows released in 2023. Of course. Do you want to lead the way? I will lead the way. And the first TV show I'm going to pick is a show that came out on Netflix in the springtime called Beef. I don't know if you saw this or not. I did not, but I do know it. It starred Ali Wong. She's a really funny comedian. And Stephen Yun. He's an Oscar nominee, but he was also in The Walking Dead when he was younger. And it was basically this comedy drama about one small event that happens, but then everything escalates from there. Mm. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And these two people get more involved in each other's lives. And it was just, it was funny. It was well acted. 
and it was well written and it's when i was looking back at what are my favorite tv shows of 2023 even though beef was so long ago or it feels like it came out so long ago i was like it has to be on this list for me okay i've not seen it but i do know it's meant to be good like i've heard a few people tell me it's a good show and i believe even when you watched it first you told me as far as i know you said i'm watching this like one day we were online and they said yeah that's the show i'm watching uh, I may actually watch that show because just how you've explained it just sounds interesting. It sounds like, oh, it's one of them casual things you'll watch, but then it gets more interesting and more interesting and you'll be invested even more. Yeah. And you know what? I think actually you'll enjoy it because it is funny, but it's it's casual and it's not because it's really smartly written. So mm. it does have like some underlying messages, but it is funny. It's dramatic. And it's really enjoyable viewing. Yeah, I think I'll watch it, to be honest. I think I'll definitely watch that. Now, for my pick, I'm not going to mention this one because I know you'll mention it. So I'll go with one that you haven't picked, which is Silo. This was an Apple TV show. Uh, It came out on Apple TV, as in, I think it's an Apple production as well. Yeah, it has to be. It is, yeah. And it was really good. I remember I first watched it. A friend suggested it to me, so I watched it. The first two episodes were amazing, in my opinion. First episode, first episodes were amazing. So I was invested immediately. Then it had that two-episode downfall. Not even a downfall. I, I believe it was, like, setting things up for, for later on. But it had that, like, two mid-mediocre episodes in the middle of the series where uh, it wasn't necessarily as good as episode one, two, one, two three. Um but then after that, the ending, I think, was phenomenal. And even the final few episodes were really good. And it set things up really nicely for season two. And I believe that's coming out this year or next year, basically, May next year. And I'm really looking forward to that one. I completely agree with your suggestion there. I was so close to picking Silo, but it did come down to there is a slump. It is around episode four and five. Mm. And just looking back on it, I was thinking, oh, it would have been so much better if they just did eight episodes instead of 10. But with the world that they built and the way that season one ends, I cannot wait for season two. And Silo is such a good pick because it's well acted. Production design's amazing. The writing is brilliant. And overall, it's just gripping. And it is one of the best shows that I have seen this year, but it is not one of my favorites. Mm. Yeah, Silo was good. Silo was really, really good. Um, Yeah, I think it was. It just set things up really nicely for season two. And that's what I really like about some shows. I don't like when they just leave it as it is and they don't really have much to do for the next season, but they'll just come up with something random anyway. But this is like one of them like continuous series, which, you know, okay, the ending is going to be very important like the end like what happened at the end is going to be very important to what plays into season two and then obviously from there onwards uh and yeah that was my pick for because it was genuinely one of the shows i did enjoy and you're absolutely right it was episode four and five where it had that downfall which it still wasn't bad don't get me wrong but it wasn't necessary you know what it reminded me of i believe it was stranger things season two or season one where uh, millie bobby brown the character 11 uh goes like runs away one day and goes and meets like her soulmate or like 
Sister, I know, yeah, her, yeah, her fellow like test subject sister. I would say I agree with you, but for anyone who is listening, it is not as bad as that Stranger Things episode, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's what I mean is just like it wasn't necessary. Like that had nothing to do with the rest, of the storyline in Str- Stranger Things, slightly maybe. Yeah, but it wasn't necessary. Like, and as he said with Tyler, had they done eight episodes instead of ten, I think it would have been just perfect. And for anyone who hasn't seen Silo, just to briefly set it up, basically, the Earth is ravaged, supposedly, outside, and you have 10,000 people living underground. They have their own constitution, their own rules, and their own hierarchy, and everyone has a different role. And suddenly, people start questioning why they're down there. And that's sort of where we start. It's really... What I like about it is the world that they have built. And that's why it's so exciting for, you know, season two, for example, or hopefully a season three or a season four, because the world building is really good. And so it's just really intriguing as a viewer because there are so many different possibilities and so many different pathways that you can go down. So I think Silo is an excellent pick from you. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to season two on that one. What have you got next? My second pick is also an Apple TV show. You know what it is. It's Hijack with Idris Elba. Now, this is not the best written show, perhaps, of both of our lists. But if we're talking about gripping, week on, week in, week on action, it is up there. I mean, you had to be there, didn't you? But even now, I guess if you're binging it, you're still going to really enjoy it. Essentially, to set this one up for you, Idris Elba is on a flight that has been hijacked. That's pretty much it. There are seven episodes and there are seven hours until the plane is going to hit its target. It is just extremely gripping. You've got how Idris Elba negotiates with the terrorists on the plane and how they negotiate through that scenario. But you've also got the intelligence services angle You've got really intriguing subplots because you're finding out more about, you know, what are the motives of the terrorists, for example. You've also got Idris Elba's family, how he's trying to get messages to them. And so in terms of like what was gripping me week in, week out, I don't think there was anything else on this list that had me as much as Hijack did. And it was just a fantastic TV show. I agree with that. Just how entertaining Hijack was. And as he said, like the, one of the best things about it was having to wait a week for every episode. Um, it was amazing. It was so entertaining to watch. And it was a case of, because there was like a limited time on, obviously it's a flight, like it could, there's a set time that it could stay up there. That made it more, how can I say, that made it more intense because every scene was intense, especially towards the end. You're like, okay, well, something has to happen. Like, everything was intense, and it was a really good film. Oh, series, sorry. Um, It was one of them ones with, which, as you said, like, you're not going to look back and be like, oh, this is, like, the writing is amazing. It's incredible. But it's just one of them ones which you want to sit down and watch, and you want to get to the end. It was amazing. Just the different perspectives, as you mentioned, how they work, try to work it out on the ground, how they do it up in the sky, like the communication, how they communicate, the coding, everything, how people all unite when it comes down to something like this. And it was really good. And I could swear on my flight back from Slovenia, I had the guy who hijacked the plane on my flight. Yeah, but you made it safely. So 
He did, did not I? hijack the plane. Or did he just look at me and he was like, nah, it's not worth it. Or are you recording this right now in a terrorist cell? You never know. <laughs> I just want to I just want to clarify what I meant when I said it wasn't the greatest writing. It's really good writing because it keeps you gripped. But what I meant was it wasn't on a deeper level like Beef, for example, or even Silo. It was more so there were some cliches. But yeah. it's not easy to write a show which keeps you gripped. Yeah. No, it doesn't have the element of yeah, it doesn't have the element of, oh, this is such a unique idea. Like, no one has ever done this before. Like, this is new for everyone. Like, that's probably a very common thing. But the way you write it to make it interesting, that's what, that's the good bit about it. But it didn't have that uniqueness in it. Yeah, it was taking something that I think we all know, people who have watched a lot of TV and films, but mm. just doing it at a really, really high level. And it relied a lot on cliffhangers, and that's okay because that's what keeps you gripped. So, absolutely, Hijack, that's my second pick for favorite TV show of 2023. Mm -hmm. Right, let's get into your third. Uh, well, the last one, I believe we have the common one. We both share the same one. The Last of Us, season one. Amazing. Shall we, shall we just both talk about this yeah. one at the same yeah, time? Yeah, you lead the way. The Last of Us was one of those things that you get every few years. I guess a really big example would be Game of Thrones, where it was a TV event. And like I was saying with Silo, the world building that this show has and its potential was just absolutely fantastic. And we actually spoke about The Last of Us in our last episode, and we spoke specifically about episode three. And I think that's such a good, you know, point to highlight in terms of why this show was so fantastic and why it has so much potential and why it was just so good is because episode three of the last of us tv show takes you completely out of the main plot and yet it actually ended up being the most gripping episode of the whole series because it's seeing that relationship just taking this human story and seeing that relationship within this world building that they've created was just fantastic and i think actually like hijack just watching this week in week out was such a good experience and the production design the direction the writing the acting all of it was top notch so i think if i'm gonna even have to rank any of these tv shows that i've seen in 2023 probably the last of us comes out on top because it was just the pinnacle of the year it was it was amazing as we talked about it before as well it has that it factor it has that game of thrones factor to it it has that breaking bad factor to it that this could be something that goes on for as many seasons as they want as long as they do good production of course but this could be another game of thrones one this could be another seven season eight season show where you know it's going to be good uh it was amazing to watch and as you said it's rare for shows or even like sometimes movies to go out the main plot yet make that entertaining and yet make that interesting as we literally just talked about it with stranger things where they go out yeah. like it really didn't work out for them or even with yeah. silo obviously with silo it was still related to the main story but still uh it's really rare for them to manage to pull that off but they did it in a fantastic way and i think the last of us was genuinely one of the greatest releases of not even maybe the year maybe the decade when it comes down to shows um so far at least um i think i think that's probably a right call yeah just like oppenheimer if you're going to look back at the decade of the 2020s and say that's probably one of the defining films of it i think you're gonna have to say the same with the last of us and 
that's that doesn't even surprise me because in terms of video games people would look back at the 2010s and say well the last of us and gta 5 are probably the two dominant exactly. video games from that decade so the storytelling has always been there and mm. i'm so glad that they've got it right because it was just it was in a way phenomenal you know it was like, fantastic casting everything was perfect in that show and i'm really looking well, forward to the next season which i believe is coming out 2026 or late 2025 no no no, no. 2025 yeah I, I cannot wait for it and hopefully we get more than just two seasons because obviously right now there are two games so we can have you know three or four seasons of the last of us if they just go off script from the games but if they do it right because i trust that team mm. you know watching this first season they got it right man so i agree I agree. It was yeah, really, really good. Wait for that. One common thing I realized and noticed throughout our lists, where both shows and movies, is how most of them are things that could go wrong, and that's what's like the most interesting, uh, interesting thing for us to watch. Like, leave the world behind. Like Megan. Like Silo. Like Last Last of Us. Like all of these are things that could go wrong in an extreme way, and that that could be what we'll end up to be. Yeah, and I think, well, we identified that, didn't we? Mm. So, yeah, just not not just in terms of film, but also in television. It's sort of these disaster plots that have really gripped us this year. And it'll be interesting to look back at the end of 2024 and see what's gripped us at the end of that year and what's been, like, the dominant trend. But, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. But, yeah, I think all of the f- movies and the shows we picked, I think they're worth a watch. So if you've not seen it, highly recommend it it gets a it gets a coffee hour stamp of approval it does and shall we just go through our lists one more time so for films i have chosen past lives and oppenheimer as my favorite films released in 2023 and i recommend and suggest both of them to whoever is listening and for tv shows released in 2023 i have picked beef hijack and the last of us and i think for me those are all solid recommendations. What about you? So for movies, I've got Megan, I've got Leave the World Behind, and I've got No Hard Feelings. We broke them all down. Uh, those cover everything pretty much. They, they have the comedy factor, the thriller factor, and I think they're all good. a good watch as a not an Oppenheimer level maybe, but they're all a good watch. And when it comes down to shows, I've got, as I said, The Last of Us, Silo, and Hijack. And they're all amazing all good shows and all could have a season two well what a perfect way to end the episode i'm very happy with both of our lists and Mm -hmm. shall we get back to the christmas celebrations because we are recording this on boxing day and i know we've got a lot of drinking to do let's do this let's get drunk all right man well i have been your host william code i'm your host arshia and thank you very much for listening to coffee hour merry christmas Take care. See you in the next episode. See ya.